Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 216. I know it's a Friday. Everyone's pushing towards the weekend. I don't normally release episodes on Fridays, but this is a special one. And while I got back home from Colonial yesterday, I'm heading out of town again tomorrow morning to Birmingham, Alabama. And the timing of this episode really couldn't be more perfect. My very special guest on this episode of The Back of the Range has a resume that most players in the game could only dream of. U.S. Amateur Champion, Walker Cupper, Ryder Cupper, U.S. Open Champion, Players Champion. Jerry Pate is my guest here at the back of the range, and we discussed his start in the game and a few of his more memorable highlights. He has so many of them. But we also discussed the upcoming SEC Match Play Collegiate Tournament being hosted at Shoal Creek in Birmingham. As I said, I'll be heading there tomorrow. If you're listening to this episode on Friday, October 8th, when it was first released, I'll be providing some coverage for the club and all of the teams in the field. Vanderbilt, Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M, all of the SEC schools will be there at Shoal Creek. It looks to be a fantastic setup, a unique setup, something that will get these teams ready for the national championship next spring at Greyhawk. So let's not waste any time. Let's get to this episode. Jerry, you're at the back of the range. How are you? I'm great. I'm grateful to be here. I'm glad we could find some time. You know, we're I'm jumping around the country following collegiate and amateur golf, and uh, and you're jumping around as well, and 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 playing more golf than I am. You just got back from Pebble, playing in the uh, the the uh, Pure Insurance, the Champions Tour event out there. Uh, I have to ask, how's the game, man? What's uh, how how is things at Pebble Beach? Well, to be honest, I don't play much golf. I played five Champions Tour events this year. I played none last year and about four the year before and five the year before. So I didn't, I hadn't played in two years until this year. And I played three early in the season. I just played the uh, Samford uh, uh, Medical Tournament up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I played at Pebble. And I, I think I played about 30 AT&T Pebble Beaches and Bing Crosby's. Wow. So I love to play out there and, and have a lot of good friends. Uh, played with my daughter. She caddied, and I played with her on uh, early in the week at Cypress Point, which was really a big deal for her to get to play Cypress for the first time, which I consider probably, if not the greatest, uh, close to the greatest golf course in America. That's a special place. I'll be looking forward to to getting out there for the for the 2025 Walker Cup. So you've played gosh over 30 you'd say 18 T's and bangs. I mean that that really is I guess if you want to talk about the place to be seen and the place to to meet different people and come away with stories, that's really has to be the tour stop of all tour stops back in the day. Well, it was a lot of fun. Early on I played with a friend uh, I didn't know who he was, but he's still been a life friend Alfie van Hool who is uh, from Palm Beach. He's in the sugar business. And and uh, we played my first two years. And then I played with my father a couple of times. In fact, my father played maybe six or seven Crosbys. In fact, my son, uh, Wesley, when he was at Alabama, he got invited to play as an amateur. So I was fortunate enough in those 30 years to play with my father and my son. And I uh, had a lot of great partners uh, over the years, you know, some celebrities and most mostly business 
associates and sure. friends that older uh, mentors really that that i played with and uh, it's just a great way to meet a lot of good people and you're playing wonderful golf courses in, in the old days we played cypress and pebble and spyglass and probably 10 years ago uh, tom fazio did some work at uh, spyglass put a lot of drainage in new cart pass and and uh I wrote letters to everyone out at the Pebble Beach Corporation uh, and told them I've never seen the golf courses better. I mean, they played, they played as, as well as you would play at Augusta National. Pebble Beach, you know, when I first played in 76, was really just a municipal golf course. Right. It was pretty average in condition, but it is spectacular. So uh, I know it, uh, it's, it's a lofty goal to get to play at Pebble, even though it's a public course and a lot of people can't afford it. But if you can scratch up a, an opportunity to uh, save a buck and go play it, you should play it because Pebble is special. Um, and, and, and Forrest Fessler and Mike Strands redid Monterey Peninsula Country Club, which is in the rotation of the, of the AT&T Pebble Beach, and it is just spectacular. I mean, it's as fine as playing Pebble Beach or Cypress Point to play Monterey Peninsula Country Club. It is just a magnificent golf course, a great job that Forrest and – Mike, God bless them both. I knew them yeah. both well. Both both had passed away, but great architects and did a terrific job there. So uh, it's a special place. There's no place like Pebble Beach in Monterey. Carmel uh, is just unbelievable. I haven't made it out there yet, but I kind of get the feeling that that's the place you go. And no matter what your handicap is, you need to kind of you know park your ego in the in the leave it at the parking lot and just go out there and enjoy and and take in the sights. And, you know, hit a couple of good shots, maybe make a putt or two, but it's just a life experience. Well, it's kind of funny. I, I asked Nick Saban to go for years. He became a friend when he came to Alabama. So about five or six years ago, he finally agreed to, to go. <laughs> and at the last minute, he gets on a plane on Wednesday. We fly him out there on a private plane. And we get there. So he plays the first round with no practice round over at Spyglass. And I said, well, let's run over to Cyprus. I've got a friend, a member that's going to play the last – four holes 15 16 17 and 18 we walked out after he had played 18 we got on the 15th tee and his wife terry was there and my wife and a friend of mine and and his wife from texas and and uh he looked over at terry he went this is the real deal he said jerry didn't oversell this and of course uh, i uh i have a lot of energy when i sell something i said nick you've got to go play the sure. att pebble beach and he got he got to play with his mentor bill belichick which was great and yep. and um that was a dream uh and a bucket list for even nick saban but it is an unbelievable place and, and i haven't been there since the open in 2019 uh, the U.S. Open, and uh, I didn't play when I was out there. I, well, actually, I, what am I saying? I did. I played. In fact, I played at Cyprus with Jack Nicholas, Hale Irwin, and Gary Player, uh, which is a pretty good foursome. I, I got was going to say. I was, was going to say. Sure, I, yeah, I don't know so, how you forget about that one. But that's I don't okay. want to dust off those guys. And we had <laughs> we had a great turnout. We we had Kite and Watson and and uh, David Graham, and Trevino. A lot of a lot of the past yeah, champions showed up true. for it. And but I was fortunate enough to play with Nick. In fact, that's embarrassing. I forgot. But uh, I got to play with Jack and and uh, and and uh, 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 Gary and and Hale, and uh, you know it was probably the last time Jack and Gary will ever play Cypress. I don't know if they've been back since, because it's you know it's a hike when you live in Florida to go to California and just play around the golf. But sure. it's it's worth it's worth it to go play Pebble Beach and Cypress. Of course, Cypress is is very extremely difficult to get on. It's a super exclusive private club and i'm just thankful and blessed that i have friends and you know they probably take it for granted but i i really enjoy 
being a guest of some of those members to play their club because it is a special place. Well, that's what's so great about this game. You make friends wherever you go, and and you know, friends are, are members of clubs that you're not, and vice versa. And that's that's how this whole thing works. Um, before we move on, I, I wanted to, you know we're going to be talking about some of these young amateurs that we're going to be seeing at Shoal Creek for the SEC match play. Um, you were paired with a a young player from uh, from the first seed program. That's really just one of the unique aspects of this pure insurance championship on the champions tour tell me a little let's get some publicity here for the for the for the player that you had uh, uh walking with you down the fairways at pebble who did you have with you miles richardson he was from atlanta he was a member of the first tee uh, at uh tom cousins uh place east lake and uh ironically i was involved with mr cousins early on when east lake was being reconstructed and the things he did, taking the whole clubhouse apart, rebuilding the golf course, had Reese Jones, but Mr. Cousins, a good friend of my dad's. And I went up and played with several uh, uh, people that he had asked to come help sponsor it, which I was elated to be involved. And now here I go to the first tee and I'm paired with a young man who goes to the Drew school. The Drew school uh, is a, uh, uh, an unbelievable story of kids uh, mostly minorities. Uh, and in fact, this young man I played with was one of five kids that played on the only winning state high school team that was all blacks. And so he won, I think they won last year and, uh, he was a, a sophomore and, and, and the crazy thing about it, I mean, he was a good player. He's about a five handicap, sure. but playing Pebble beach, he, he makes a natural hit a driver and an eight iron on number two and made an eagle. <laughs> I might've hit a nine iron. I think I, I think I was clubbing him because he just didn't know how to club out there. Sure. And a couple of times he would hit what he wanted and it was the wrong club. After the first day, he finally said, Mr. Tate, I want you to club me <laughs> because it's hard to club. I mean, some of these holes, it's like spyglass to go uphill into the wind. And sure. It might be 160 yards. And he's thinking, Oh, I can hit a wedge. I go, no, you got to hit an eight iron. He's looking at me like I'm crazy. Right. But these kids hit it so far. And then we came to the last hole, number nine, and um, ended up the the amateurs playing with us made the cut because he he on number nine hit hit a driver and a nine iron on number nine. Pin was in the back left corner, he hit it about six feet, made that putt for a birdie, and he got a shot. So he made two eagles wow. the the last day on the last hole. And he and I missed the cut. Uh, I think we missed the cut by a shot, maybe oh. as as a team. Um, and, and of course I didn't have a good finish. I finished double bogey on eight and bogey on nine. Uh, and I had a three under uh, round going for 68 years old and have, I haven't played. I, was I felt say. pretty good about it. Well, I felt pretty good about it. And I, and I, and I hit a poor second shot on eight and the junk and made double. And then I three putted nine of all things from about 20 feet uphill. But my partner held me up. He made birdie net Eagle and got the team in, in the, in the cut on Sunday. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. But th this is these are some of the finest young men and women that you would meet at at the first tee, and I can't say enough about what they've done at the Drew School. The Drew School, it, I think, has the highest GPA in the state of Georgia of any public school, and it was a school Mr. Cousins uh, founded. And of course, you see ads at the Tour Championship, and they've had great partners, people like Coca Cola and Delta Airlines, and. And people like uh, FedEx. I mean, there's all kind of Atlanta companies, uh, 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 Southern companies involved. But I'll tell you, Mr. Cousins, it was his dream, and a, and a guy named Charlie Harrison who put the first tee together. And Charlie was an old 
uh, Atlanta's uh, golfer. Charlie's got to be 90. I think Mr. Cousins is about 90 now, and Charlie's a little shy of 90. He's probably 86, 88. But he was out there when they first opened and working with all these young minorities, and this was a part of town. This was the old Atlanta Athletic Club, and it had gotten run down, and Mr. Cousins threw about $30 million, I think, of his own money, and there's no telling how many millions have been given and it was done for two reasons for education and for the great game of golf to to share experiences and you know i tell people this and i speak around the country i said we don't have any kind of problems that we talk about other than the basic problem in this country is education we're we're not well educated as a nation in public schools and uh and, and public schools need to step up and, and people don't need to lower the standards to graduate people. You need to raise the bar and make them study more or they don't graduate. Yep. And um, public schools have really gone by the wayside. And I don't know what the reason is. I won't pick on any, any organizations or, or, or teachers or principals, but whatever it is, we don't put enough money into public education and by paying more to teachers and principals, you'll get a higher level of interest in, in people wanting to take those jobs. And, uh, I think it, the first T has proven that having support with people in the community that can educate kids on life skills and learning, there's nothing greater than what the first T has done to educate kids. And, and, and the poster child for the whole, educational system has been uh charter school like the drew school it's a public public school but yeah. it works 100 now we're, we're talking about getting these kids obviously education and also getting kids into the game of golf learning all the great things and and uh and character building tools that, that the game provides i i kind of have to ask you know how we all you know people know about your accomplishments in the game but how did you get into golf well my grandfather was a good player he played he he went to Georgia business college in 1920 in Atlanta and his roommate best friend was a guy named Horton Smith who won the first yeah. masters. And in fact, my dad in 1934 went with my grandfather. He was living down in Thomasville, Georgia and went to the masters and my granddad played in tournaments in Thomasville. He kind of was back and forth between Atlanta, Jacksonville and Thomasville. He was with Sir and Williams corporation his whole career, 40 years. But my granddaddy was a good player. He was a scratch player. And then my dad, Grew up at Ponte Vedra as a kid in Jacksonville. Ironically, to think that's where he grew up, and I would end up uh-huh. uh, playing golf, winning the players the first year at the stadium course. Sure. It's kind of it's kind of crazy story. Yeah. People wouldn't believe it. But my mom and dad are both from Jacksonville, Florida, and um, so my dad was a good player, and he played golf at University of Georgia, and then I was a, an average player. I played as a junior, all my brothers and sisters, but I wasn't a good player until probably my junior year of college, it just kind of all clicked and I got a little bigger and stronger and started playing a little bit better. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about that. Cause you know, you have this great amateur career. You, you win the 74 USAM and you know, low am in the U S open and you know, uh, Eisenhower trophy, Walker cup, all the, I mean, the, your, these are the things that all these college kids that we're going to see in a few days at the sec match play. These are all the things that they are just, they're dreaming to be able to achieve something like this. And, and this is what you were able to do, but I'm sure that many of them might be surprised to hear about your journey playing college golf at Alabama because you weren't exactly, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you weren't exactly the heavily recruited blue chip no. prospect, right? So I was a walk-on at Alabama, and Alabama didn't have a golf program. In <laughs> fact, Conrad, it was a football school. Bear Bryant was the athletic director, and Conrad Raylene had been at Florida for about 15 years, went to University of West Florida in Pensacola in 67 
and he got hired in, in 1970 by Coach Bryant. And so the fall of 71 was his first year, and it was my first year. And my dad was a, a, a was a, a, a you know a letterman on the University of Georgia team, and I wanted to go to Georgia. I was born in Macon, Georgia. Right. My family moved to Georgia in 1800. They were cotton farmers. And uh, my mom graduated from Wesleyan. Uh, she was in the art and history and conservatory in, in Macon, Georgia. And so who would have thought I'd go to Alabama? Well, the Bear Bryant show was sponsored by Coca-Cola. My dad was Coca-Cola bottler. And my dad got the Coca-Cola uh, person in Birmingham that was his, his uh, contemporary to ask Coach Bryant to give me free books. And so I, I think I got free books my first fall semester. And, and after my second year of school, I earned a full scholarship. But I had never played a state junior, never played a state amateur, and I was till I was twenty. And uh, Andy Bean came to Pensacola a couple of years yeah. and played in a tournament called the Fall Staff, which in that time had been changed to the American Amateur. And he said, "Why don't you come down and stay with me in Lakeland, and we'll play the Florida Amateur?" And I said, "Andy, I'm not good enough." So he called and got me in the Florida Amateur at the last hour, and uh, it was the last day of registration. In fact, and he called the Florida State Golf Association executive director, and he. He did it over the phone, and I got took my entry, and I stayed with Andy. Andy was winning every day. We came to the last day, and he had a two-shot lead. Um, uh, actually, he had a one-shot lead with two to pl- three to play. He hit it about six feet, and I plugged it in the bunker. I, I'm dead. He's going to make birdie. I'm going to make bogey. He's going to have a three-shot lead with two to play. I hold it out of the bunker, and he three-putts. And we end up, I have a one-shot lead. <laughs> And then I parred the last two holes, and he parred the last two holes. He shook my hand and said, congratulations. I said, for what? He said, you just won the state amateur. I said, you're kidding. Are you sure? He said, yeah. He said, nobody's even near us. And so then he said, let's go to Jacksonville and qualify. We'll stay at your grandparents, try to qualify for the U.S. Amateur. It's going to be up in New Jersey. And so I said, fine. So we we went to uh, uh, San Jose Club, which ironically, my granddaddy was a founding member there in like 1926 or 28 in Jacksonville. Okay. I didn't even know he had been a member there. Isn't that crazy? Because he had left there and moved to Georgia and then back to Ponte Vedra. But Ponte Vedra opened, I think, in 32 or 33. So anyway, I went down there and I was medalist and I went to New Jersey. And the next thing you know, I won eight matches and I won the U.S. Amateur. And I come back to school and I mean, and Bear Bryant is taking credit for my scholarship. He's got my name <laughs> on the marquee of the Coliseum. My name was up on the marquee of the Coliseum in front of the football office the whole fall said, congratulations, Jerry Pitt, U.S. Amateur Champ. So I've gone from the fraternity house to the White House, you know. Right. And, uh, and nobody ever heard of me. And so I went and played that fall at the, the preview at the Scarlet Course, NC2A. It was in Columbus, Jack's course, where he played at Ohio State. And I won that. So I go to the World Amateur. I win that. And I played a couple other tournaments. I started winning all these tournaments I was playing. And it just it clicked. And uh, I don't, I can't explain how. It was just like. It was like, uh, I don't know, it was like magic, like a dream. And so I was in business school, and halfway through my spring semester, I'd played in five pro tournaments, made the cut in all of them. I was sixth at Pensacola and was runner-up low amateur at the Masters, made the cut in all of them, low amateur then at the U.S. Open, and and runner-up in the NC2A, and my dad to Jay Haas, who's obviously a great player and great friend. And my dad said, son, you better forget about working for Coca-Cola. You need to go play pro golf. So, Uh, you know, no thought that this would happen. I mean, I'm guessing. So you have no, like, 
I'm going to out like a lot of these kids. I'm going to an SEC school because I'm going to turn pro. And no, none of that. None of that. No, I mean, there was no one. There was no one on our team when we got there that was very good. But one player got him Wheeler Stewart and Mac McClendon's younger brother. Clyde was a pretty good player, but Clyde uh, just didn't quite ever turn it on when he needed to. And Wheeler was a pretty good player. But and there were a couple of guys my age, Tony Hollifield, who's passed away from North Carolina and Alan. Alan Pate from Mobile played the tour for many years, and basically played in Asia and in South America. Really didn't make it big time on the PJ Tour, but they were decent players. But we finished third my senior year at the NC2A, which was the, only the, about the third time Alabama had ever, ever been to an NCA. Actually, the fourth. We went my three years, my sophomore, junior, and senior year. And before that, Alabama had only played in one NCA golf tournament. And so we were playing with guys like – Jay Haas and Curtis Strange and, and, you know, Gary Koch and Andy Beans of the world and these guys. And I remember at Oklahoma State seeing Crenshaw and Danny uh, Yates uh, Edwards. Oh, Edwards now, Danny okay. Ye- uh, yeah, Danny Yates is one of my close friends. But I'm talking about Eddie Pierce. I mean, guys at Wake Forest. These guys were like gods to me. Sure. And I thought, oh, my God. They were in Golf Week magazine every week playing in some junior tournament or some college tournament, winning it with their picture. And I mean, I, I had never even, you know, I was in the Aniston Star paper for winning the 10 and under, you know, in 1964 in Aniston, Alabama. And uh, I won the Divot Derby in Pensacola. Who has it? Really, Who has it? It was a big deal. I mean, I won it at 15 and Bubba won it at 15. I mean, but, but I never played a state amateur and I didn't play a. Uh, you know, uh, U.S. juniors and all these things that you see these kids play in. You know, it's really incredible is that, you know, we're talking about your U.S. amateur victory at Ridgewood. That is where the next U.S. amateur is going to be held next year. And then we're also, and then that leads into your, your Walker Cup appearance in 1975 at St. Andrews. That's where the next Walker Cup is going to be. Um, I'm, right. I'm, a, I'm a big Walker cup nut. How, how was that experience? I'm guessing a kid from Alabama. Well, probably sudden- the greatest, greatest experience in my life was playing in the Walker cup with the people that I met. I mean, I basically had a dream team oh, God. Uh, on a, on a Walker cup and the Ryder cup. I yeah, mean, yeah. The, probably the greatest Ryder cup ever. And I only played once on each, uh, cause I turned pro as a Walker cupper, but you know, I didn't play the, uh, I didn't play the, the, the Ryder Cup after 81 because I was injured, and that was kind of into my career in 82. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually qualified for the Ryder Cup twice in 77 and 79, but in those days you had to had be on to the be tour a, right, right, for, for yeah. three or four years and get your PGA Class A card before yeah. you could play. Yeah, because that, because that, yeah, well, that's a whole other conversation about that rule. Because I think, what was that? I think Nicholas uh, also missed out on being on one of the teams. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was. Um, oh yeah. Well, Bob Rosberg told me when he was a rookie on tour and I worked with Bob at ABC, he said you had to play the tour for one full year and you didn't get paid. The PGA of America wouldn't let you accept prize money back in the fifties. Huh. And he said, then, then you had to be on the tour five years before you could play on the Ryder cup. Isn't that crazy? That, that makes very little sense. Meanwhile, we, yeah, have, we, we have, well, yeah. we changed the rules when we started getting our butt kicked by all those young guys. <laughs> Uh-huh. on the european tour so if you can play and you're the best player it doesn't matter how old you are how long you've been on tour if you're uh qualified you're on the team wow. so yeah what a, what a, but yeah the walker cup was great and in st andrews i got paired two matches with dick sitteroff dick's yeah. 84 he won two british amateurs i talked to dick literally every day or every other day since 75 is that crazy wow and uh and uh and of course dick and i lost both of our singles uh, both of our our, our foursomes match 
and better uh, and, and then alternate shot matches. And then I lost both of my singles matches and I lost one to a guy named Mark James, who's from Leeds, England, really a great player on the on the uh, European tour. And Mark reminds me every time I see him, he said, tell everybody I kicked your butt. Well, that's, that's friendly of him. And this, the Walker Cup. Yeah. He beat me in the Ryder Cup and the Walker Cup in singles. Well, just remind him of Brookline in 99, and that should shut him up pretty quick. So, um, yeah. Well, he's a great guy and a great player, but I love to I love to be around other Walker Cuppers or Ryder Cuppers when people tell their stories, you know. And every time I not every time, but occasionally people will bring up uh, one of my great stories was at at Glen Eagles, and we were getting killed. And I think uh, Watson was the captain, yeah. And uh, and I was up at the hospitality events, uh, or hospitality uh, pavilions, and. Uh, I heard this. Oh my God, this guy just lost three and two. He got killed. He lost four and three has to be a record. And I was listening to all the Europeans just, you know, just embarrassing us. And I looked over at one guy and I said, I remember one time there was a match where Nick Faldo and Sam Torrance, who were the best two players on their team, they got beat seven and five. And the guy goes, Oh, no way. No, way. it could not hardly ever be. No, no, no. I said, yeah. <laughs> and they said, who was it? I said, me. <laughs> and and uh, Trevino and I won seven and five. Yeah. So anyway, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that team. Was, that, I mean, that, that was at Walton Heath. Yeah, that team. I mean, re- really, you know, we just got done actually with this this recent Ryder Cup, and they're really talking about how the U.S. team is is really on on kind of a resurgence now. We're adding, I think, it's we're recycling in some some younger talent, but this team is is kind of set to go for the next uh, you know two three four sessions or two three four uh, um, you know times they're going to hold the Ryder cup and there are, they are comparing it to that 81 team that you were on, you know, Watson and Floyd and Trevino and, and Nicholas and Nelson and Miller. And then we just go on and on kite Irwin. Um, but yeah, you just mentioned it. What, I mean, gosh, there's gotta be you playing with Trevino twice. I mean, that's, it doesn't get, doesn't get much better than that. Well, that's one of the, you know, I could talk all night about stories like that, but I'd, I'd played the day before with Crenshaw. Dave Morris said, we've got the best team on, on paper ever, so right. you guys pick who you want. So my brother-in-law, Bruce Litsky, picked Bill Rogers, his roommate in college. They got beat. Crenshaw and I are best friends. We got beat. We paired to get – you know, we picked ourselves to play, and we get beat. Next day, that night, Trevino says, I'm going to take Pate. He just needs a caddy. So we go out the first hole, and he hits this kind of little old low skinker. It's over the hill, blind shot, and then you're – go back up a hill to a blind shot green. You go down this hill, you can't see it, and up the hill, you can't see it. First hole at Walton Heath. So, Faldo and Torrance have hit it kind of left center, 40, 50 feet away from me, 680 feet. Torino's hit it short right, and I'm hit the long drive. I'm playing an orange ball, of all things. Of course. And so, I hit it right down the middle, and Torino walks up. I said, where'd you go? I didn't see you hit. He says, I picked up. And I go, no, really. I started laughing. I said, no, where did you hit it? And he reached in his pocket and says, right here, Bubba. Here it is, Bubba. And then he goes real loud, you can beat these guys by yourself. Oh and they God. looked over and gave a dirty they gave a dirty look. And he said, now, come on, they can't beat you. And so they hit a shot. They're kind of long. And he said, what do you have? I said, I've got 190. What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this four iron, a three iron and cut it up in the air. He said, I want you to take a four iron out and hit it right to pin. Don't try to cut it. Don't try to hook it. You don't hit the ball crooked and just do what I tell you to do. And I hit it about six inches. So we get up on the green and six inches. So he walks up there. It's a gimme. You can see the orange ball. They're about 30 feet away. Sure. And he nods to them. Is it good? And they go, yeah. So we walk over here and he picks the ball up and throws it. At me. He says, 
I told you, Bubba, they can't beat you. They can't beat you, Bubba. <laughs> and I mean, they're so psyched out. And I think I like birdie two, four, six, or seven, or eight. Trevino birdied every hole in between, and we beat them seven and five. Good God. And, uh, and so we're doing this interview, and I still have it on tape. And I mean, I play, I was really playing well in 81 and yeah. 82, right before I got hurt. I was playing about as well as I ever did in my career. And, uh, and, and Clive Clark's doing the interview. He says, Lee, the, and I was the youngest kid on the team. I was 27. He said, you got the young Jerry Pate played well. What do you think? And he said, let me tell you something, Clive. He said, this kid, I just witnessed a round of golf. You can't believe it. I mean, my chest is bowing out, you know, my oh, sure. ego, sure. my hat's about to explode. He said, this guy's the greatest player in the world. Oh, and no. I'm thinking, <laughs> and then he goes from the neck down, he's the dumbest SOB. And he said it on, on TV. Oh. He's the dumbest player I've ever played with. He needs me to caddy. And I said, give me the microphone. He said, you just shut up and do what I tell you to do. It was the funniest <laughs> interview I've ever seen. He said, if, if I caddy for him, we'd both make more money. He says, I don't need to play. I just caddy for him. Oh. And, and so we played another match and one, I can't remember who we played in the next match, but we won that match as well. I think we played Ooster house and in Torrance, the next match, but, uh, playing with Trevino is like, Oh my God, it's just like unbelievable. The guy, he keeps you so loose. He's so positive. He coaches you. He know he, you know, he's a caddy shoe shine guy club club bag repair guy hustler gambler yeah. greatest player at one time in the game so i mean who, who else would you want for a party you're not nervous he knows the game from the parking lot to the to the trophy presentation i'll tell you yeah that's got to be that had to be an absolute thrill i mean just not only being on that team but being with uh gosh being with him that that had to be incredible um you mentioned your kind of career really you know after 82 getting injured really you know that was i guess fair to say that kind of the beginning of the end well, it was, and I had a 10-year exemption. I'd just gotten beat a shot at, at um, I think I was second at Doral. I think Andy Bean won. Uh, I got beat a shot at Augusta. Stadler won. I won the players, and I finished, I believe, I was second at Colonial. So I was, I, I believe if I wasn't leading the money, I was close. And it was in May, and I hit. I was practicing on some hard ground, trying to think, and it was windy. Uh, that day out of the golf course west of Pensacola and the wind came up, real strong wind. I thought, you know, I'll try hitting these low one irons, get ready for Troon because I really like to play well in the British Open. Sure. And uh, I'd played well in the Open. I'd had a first and second in the Open. I'd had a second, third, fourth, and fifth in the PGA, you know, my first five times and a, and a, and a, a third, fourth, and sixth at the Masters. And, uh, of course, I, I finished third at the Masters. I got beat a shot, but Dan Poland and Stadler played off in ADT. So, so I thought – you know, I could, I could win the British. I'm playing that well. I made one swing with a one iron too steep uh, club, hit the, the ground tore my cartilage. And that was into my career. I mean, and people didn't know how to fix a torn cartilage. So I played a couple of years and in 1985, Dr. Andrews went in and scoped my shoulder and took the cartilage out, which just made my shoulder looser. And so I tore the rotator cuff the next year and he repaired that it was a super spinatus tear. And then, Never got better because my joint was so loose. And then Frank Job in L.A. decided to do what was called a capsular shift and shifted the tissue internally in my joint, cut me wide open. And that was kind of the end of my career. Yeah. So I went into television after that in 88, worked for ABC for five years. And then 95 came back and worked for CBS for about five years and BBC and, you know, built golf courses and owned some golf courses and went into business, you know, and had to get a job. So um, we're we're kind of and, and I appreciate you kind of walking through the the 
the your amateur career and talking about all the accomplishments in your professional ranks. But, you know, obviously I know Alabama is very important to you. And, you know, the Jerry Pate, you know, National Intercollegiate went from 86 to 2020. I mean, this this collegiate tournament had just really incredible fields. And I, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how you got involved in supporting a, a college event. When did you first kind of get approached to lend your name and, and to support a collegiate golf tournament? Well, in 1985, my college coach, Conrad Railing, asked me to host a tournament and bought uh, a couple of golf courses in 1982 in Pensacola and Tiger Point. And it was a great place to host it down on, on the intercoastal, the beautiful uh, golf course playing down the water in those days i've sold it, it it's kind of fallen on uh, uh hard times but it's just finally back in the hands of a good owner but i sold it in 1990 but it was in 1986 that we had it and we had it for six years in pensacola and then we moved it to uh, or five years in pensacola and then we moved it to birmingham and it was at shoal creek and uh, we've had some great winners. Roy Sabatini's won it. Uh, David Toms has won it. And they're or back when he was at LSU. And Tiger Woods won it. I think it was one of the first college tournaments he ever won in 1995. And we've had people like uh, uh, Ricky Barnes and uh, uh, Charles Howell. Oh, I can go on and on. When he was uh, playing Oklahoma State, uh, guys like uh, 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 Jay Haas's son, Bill Haas. Sure, uh, yeah. uh, oh gosh, we've had Justin Thomas uh, on and on. We've had a lot of good players. I mean, we've had so many of them, I can't even think about it. I think the coolest thing is we've had uh, sons of guys that I played on the PGA Tour. We had Payne Stewart's son. We had both of Jay Haas's son, Bill and Jay. And we had Craig Stadler's son, Kevin. We had D.A. Wybring's son, Matt. We had... Um, um, oh gosh, uh, Ray Floyd's both of his sons, yeah, Robert, Robert Raymond yeah. Yeah. and Raymond. We've had, uh, oh gosh, who else? We've had a lot of sons play in it. We had my son, Wesley played in it. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some, somebody hears this. They'll be disappointed. I didn't mention their <laughs> name, but, but, uh, uh, I can't remember 35 years at, at, at uh, 60 kids times 35. That's a lot. Isn't that? That's, That's a lot. Like, That's a lot. That's uh, about 2000 different kids have come through or 2000 contestants. Some of them have been the same year after year, but we had last year, uh, you know, great playoff with, with, uh, Georgia and Auburn and, uh, who else played for them? Maybe it was Oklahoma. I can't remember who the third Clemson. I can't remember who the third team was last year. Auburn ended up winning it. But the SEC coaches uh, approached me last year uh, when COVID was going on. They said, listen, we play a component of match play at the NC2A championship. And how about let's do it a SEC match play championship, you know, hosted by you. And it'll be an official event. And then we'll play our, our, our medal tournament at Sea Island, Georgia, in the spring. And I said, sure. So we had to go meet with the SEC and figure out what all the particulars would be. And sure. we decided to have it on a rotational basis. We've had it at Shoal Creek many years ago. Then we had it at Old Overton. It was a course that Tom Fazier and I had built from Drummond Coal Company people in Birmingham, a beautiful golf course there. And uh, so we're going to have it at Shoal Creek this year, next year back to Old Overton, and then the Country Club of Birmingham, which is hosted a U.S. amateur and a mid-amateur. Yeah. So it's, it's a terrific facility. That's where Hubert Green grew up playing his golf, and it's a wonderful club. So we have three... I mean, it's just hard. It's, it's like Atlanta. I mean, there's a lot of great golf courses, but Birmingham has three really great golf courses. So we get to play those three golf courses for the next nine years. And uh, we'll have all 14 
schools. And then when Texas and Oklahoma come in, we'll have oh, yeah. 16, which will be eight and eight. And we're going to have, I'm going to try to do an East and a West against each other. So I don't know. We'll do something kind of clever. That'll be really good. Well, this one, you know, it, as you said, going to be at Shoal Creek. I'm very excited to be there. I've never been to Shoal Creek and, and you actually hit the first shot at Shoal Creek, which we'll talk about in a second, but you know, day one, it's two rounds of match play and, you know, starting in the morning and then afternoon waves and, you know, winners and losers of the morning matches, they'll meet up in the afternoon. So everyone's going to kind of have a chance to play against each other and then lead into, you know, a championship bracket. And, you know, I'm at a lot of these tournaments and amateur collegiate events. There's, you know, there's a player's dinner and maybe there's a guest speaker. And I'm sure, you know, you've, you've done a lot of those kind of, uh, uh, you know, filled right. that role many times and long drive contests and sponsor. And there's all these things you, you see a lot of them, but I have, um, I've never heard of having a fishing tournament sponsored by Bass Pro Shops in the middle of a collegiate golf tournament. So can you? Right, that's pretty cool. That's <laughs> I mean, pretty cool. We kind of came up with the idea at our committee meeting. We have a great committee that's involved with it. I mean, we've got a lot of people that are as prominent in the game of golf as you could imagine that are either our ambassadors. All 14 schools have four ambassadors that represent their school and uh, many of them are coming this year to the first event. And then uh, we have a really a great board that's uh, involved with, with running our event in Birmingham. And uh, I've been really lucky. Mike Thompson's father, uh, Hall Thompson, founded and built the course, and he kind of took me under my wing. And I was an original founding member of Shoal Creek. And um, Mike is, is, has been on my foundation board and one of the, the most important folks on it. The, the entire time we've had it for, you know, our foundation for close to 30 years running this event. And, uh, he's certainly a, a great guy to have on your, your team. And we have a lot of other good guys, guys that, that went to out. Most of them all went to Alabama guys that I went to school with played on the golf team and guys that played, uh, years afterwards. In fact, including there's three young men that all played together that played with my son, Wesley, and they're all on this, on the uh, committee. So we've got a, a, just a great group, and everybody's excited about it being match play. I, I think all the coaches are as well. Yeah, well, I think it's going to add more drama. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've, as I said, I've, I've been at a lot of collegiate events, and the 36-18 uh, in stroke play gets a little monotonous. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I think 36 holes of stroke play in one day seems to diminish the amount of emotion and kind of um, it, it's, I don't know, it's just different when you know, you have 36 holes of stroke play ahead of you. It, it, everything seems to level itself out. There's not a lot of, there's not many highs. There's also not many lows. Cause you can always say to yourself, well, I got a lot of golf to play. So I love the fact that it's, you know, you're, you're going full bore right out of the gates. Well, we can have a few rivalries and yeah. I think uh, we're going to have, a pretty good following from the media there. And so we're excited about that. And, uh, we will have a, we're not going to have a speaker this year. It's the first time we haven't had a speaker, but we've had some fantastic speakers, people like, uh, Curtis strange or Jay Haas or, you know, Ken Venturi in his heyday, the oh, commissioner yeah. of golf. We've had Gene Stalling spoke back in 92 during the middle of the football season. Yeah. And he won the net. He won the national championship that year. And he told me, he said, and you can't tell anybody I'm going to be your speaker because the press will bury me if I don't, you know, win football games. And he went on and won the national championship that year, which is pretty cool. I mean, so he gave a little bit and he received. But uh, uh, we've had, uh, you know, Ray Floyd's been there and we had Jack Nicholas a couple of years ago. Jack was fantastic. I mean, 
he spoke an hour and a half. You couldn't get the hook and get him off the stage. <laughs> what, uh, before I let you go, um, I know it's, this is a really tough one to answer, but you know, you're hosting this, you're going to be there for the entirety of the tournament. Um, obviously there's different friends that you see every, every year and different relationships that you build, but uh, what gives you the most pleasure and most pride out of hosting this event? Well, each year I write a letter to every kid and, um, I put in the letter that golf might not be your career for the rest of your life. So get your college degree and always have a backup plan. Always remember things don't go your way. And you think about my career, seven years in the top 10 on the money and won all those tournaments, right? major majors and the like one swing, my career was gone and I had a 10 year exemption in those days. You could, you, I mean, can you imagine giving somebody a 10 year exemption? You could play at 28 years old. My whole career was ahead of me. I had to back up and use the, the education that I had, even though I didn't complete my degree at Alabama, my senior year, I played so many tournaments, but I did go back and I got my degree with your daughter. But I did. That's right. But I did fall back on the things that I did learn when I was in school. And I, and one thing that, that I learned early on, and I try to tell these kids, Find someone that can mentor you. Who is your mentor? And it's not just your golf instructor. Find someone you can ask hard questions because you're going to have hard questions come up in your life. And so for me, I learned this probably when I was 35 years old and I'd gone through some hard times and had to go back and look at myself and say, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's those that are consumers and takers, and then there's producers and givers. And I want to be a producer and a giver. And, you know, it takes a lot to run a college tournament like this to put it all together. But I'm giving back to the game, which is so important. It's given me so much. And, and that's what I think. And, you know, you can say, well, you learn it on tour. We give all this money away to charity. And people probably don't think of that a Tiger Woods or a, a Bryson DeSambeau or Brooks Kepka or Justin Thomas. Oh, nice. No, they're making so much. They don't care about anybody. Believe me, these guys spend a lot of time doing things for other people because they recognize. And, and uh, I, I, I love Charles Barkley. And he went to Auburn. I went to Alabama. And Charles and I are good friends. He's, he says, Jerry, can you believe they, they paid me to play basketball? I got paid to play basketball. <laughs> And yeah. because he's, that's all I knew how to do was to play basketball as a kid. And I said, Hey, I got paid to play golf. That was a pretty good deal. Yeah. So when you realize God's given you a special talent, even if you have to work hard on it and, and, and find it, you know, I didn't have much of a talent I did, that I knew of until I was about 20, but God kind of put me in the right place and he's put me in the right place today to be a producer and a giver and not a consumer and a taker. And that's so important for these kids. So I tell every one of them, get your college degree. You never know. You need a backup plan because only 1% of you, maybe two, one or 2% in this whole tournament will make it. I mean, there'll probably be two guys out of those 60 plus players in the SEC that'll really make it on the, on the PGA tour. And, 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 uh, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a very thin line between making it and not making it. And so I I tell them all, get your college degree, have something you can fall back on. Great advice. Um, I know you're, I know your buddies with Barkley and he's an Auburn guy. And as you said, you're a Bama guy. Um, Who do you like in the, in the finals of the, uh, of the SEC match play? I mean, is it, would it be any better to see Alabama beat Auburn? Uh I mean, is that really, no, (laughs) I don't think Alabama's that, I don't think Alabama's that strong this year. I think you'll see, you know, I tell you, Georgia continues to have a great program. Um, 
I can't tell you much about A&M and, and Missouri. Uh, I can't tell you much about Tennessee or Kentucky, some of those schools. But I think Georgia and Florida will be there along with Auburn and Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's really strong. In fact, uh, their, their, their head coach is, is our assistant coach, um, Scott Limbaugh. He, he went to Vanderbilt a few years ago, and he's really turned the program around. And I'll tell you, another guy who I went to school with, Richard Todd, who played pro football for the New York Jets, his son Gator played at Alabama with my son. In fact, they roomed together. And Gator is now the assistant coach at Vanderbilt. So they have really – really gotten a lot of support and you have people like Brent Snedeker who at uh, golf club of Tennessee there in Nashville and some of the folks like Toby Wilk, who is a, just a great leader in golf in Nashville and, and judge Lou Connor. Uh, there's some really fine people that are our ambassadors that have really promoted that Vanderbilt team. So I think Vanderbilt will be right there. Vanderbilt's got a good program. I hope Alabama's going to be there and they're getting better. Um, uh, they, they've got a young team, but the guys are getting better each week. But uh, it's hard to say. Uh, I thought you were going to ask me who was going to, you know, I, I stay more interested in football this time of year than golf. Oh, but, uh, well, well you're, on, I, you're, I think, on, you're on the wrong podcast, Jerry. <laughs> I know. I, I, I think you're going to see Georgia and uh, Alabama in the SEC championship. Okay. okay. Well, well, well I'm, I'm the wrong guy to talk football with. I, I know far more about golf than I do about football. Let's just yeah. say that. But Yeah, well, you probably know more about golf than I know about Well, I, I know a little bit about these kids. You're, you're right on, on point, though. You, you're picking out some schools, the Georgia and the Vanderbilts, Florida, you're, you're, you got it. You're, you're right there. And, and I, I've spent some time with the Vanderbilt team and yes, they are, they are looking pretty strong. So um, I really do appreciate the time. I'm so glad I'm going to get to meet you at Shoal Creek during the SEC match play. And I think it's fantastic bringing match play early in the season for a lot of these teams. It'll get them ready for, for the national championship. And uh, can't thank you enough for the time. And uh, I look forward to seeing you. And thanks for stopping by the back of the range. Thank you, and I appreciate what you've done to support college golf. And there you have it. Special thanks to Jerry Pate for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Make sure you're following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Going to be posting a lot of content from the SEC Match Play, and we'll see you again next time here at the Back of the Range.